Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Brendan Hansen. I'm Jake Friedman. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. Bongiorno. Today we're talking about Troy Yes. <laughs> That's so no. What have I signed up for? Twa. 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 At least it's Twa. Twa. Okay, we'll go with Twa. Uh, a great. <laughs> dice selection board game that was voted on by our patrons uh so that's why we're covering this that's why we're doing this in our traditional deep dive format so today it's only twa and we're going to talk about it based on our experience of playing it many many times each yeah so as jake said we're really excited to be covering twa Frequently, a few times to a handful of times a year, our crew of patron supporters vote on the game that they think we should cover on the show next. And by next, I mean next from them, because we cover lots of games in between when you hear these episodes and when the next one that our crew of patrons will vote on. But in these episodes, we always like to highlight that and talk a little bit what our patron Patreon is. And if you've never heard of Patreon, it's just a platform where you can financially support the show you're listening to and give back so we can make more awesome content like this. There's various levels you could support at, and it lets you do cool stuff like vote on future deep dives, boost, and potentially select future bonus episodes. We have a, one on silly questions coming up uh, that we got to because we reached a certain number of patron supporters overall. Our next milestone for that is 35 total patrons, so we'll have another bonus episode that we'll release to, for the main feed. Our patrons also get a sneak peek of our upcoming schedule, access to our show notes, and various other bonuses like annotated notes that Jake and I put together collection tours, fancy roles and names in our Discord. Shout outs to our most recent crew member, Space Odyssey, uh, Red Eye J. Space Oddity. Oddity. Did I say Odyssey? Yeah. Oddity. Jared. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much to our patrons. And I think without further ado, let's get right into the show. Let's start as we always do with our ratings and reviews. Did I miss something? What am I I'm messing up? No, you did great. Okay. Like I was saying that and I was looking at your face and you were just cringing. So maybe that's a little review. Um, Brendan, why don't you kick us off? Okay, Jake. Twa is a bit like a cult classic hero. There's a lot here and enough for almost anyone to find something they admire or enjoy. Cutting interaction, heads down euro optimization puzzles, swingy dice, an enticing blend of strategy and tactics. But despite admiring the, the design of Twa, greatly i find it's a game that i have more fun thinking about and discussing than i do playing it in practice so for me twa is just a great 7.5 out of 10 all right our patrons are gonna kick us off me off the show okay go on big twa hater over there twa <laughs> hater energy coming straight through my computer screen i can't even stand it anyway so i played twa 12 times now all of those plays have been on board game arena i'd like to put that out there because this is a game i'm dying to play live and of sometimes you get the sense when you're playing games we play a lot of games online because that's sort of the way we can get a dozen plays in before covering it on this show in a deep dive format that feels like authentically a deep dive um, and sometimes it feels like we get a really strong sense of what that game is is like on the table and sometimes it doesn't feel that way and i twas a game that sticks out to me as a game that i feel like plays better on the table than it does play online because of some really interesting design choices that I'm sure we'll get into later. Having said that, caveat aside, I really like Twa. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So dice drafting, dice sort of action selection is probably my favorite mechanism. I 
love that essentially every time. I haven't met a case of that that I haven't loved. And Twa is obviously playing right in that space. Um, and I've enjoyed grappling with this puzzle, which, which is no surprise to me. Um, so I'm putting it at a nine. It's a game I really love to play. It's a game I want to keep playing and learning more about, uh, but I'm ready to play it on the table. I'm throwing the whole schedule out. Never, just kidding. We'll get back to it. But Jake, on the spot right now, does Twa feel like a Stefan Feld game to you? It that's a great question. I think it does. I, I think yeah. kind of the hallmarks of the Stefan Feld school of design for me, and this is something that uh, I, I talked about a lot with my friend Tyler in St. Louis, is that it's really the hallmark of it isn't so much point salad as it is novel action selection mechanism. And I think Qua yeah. is a great example of novel action selection mechanism. It also has that punctuated waning decision space right where you have a huge pool of options early on and then you're sort of just navigating your way through that pool of options which is diminishing down over the course of each round uh so yeah right on point i think as as a steffenfeld-esque design but i asked that in part because jake loves steffenfeld and because when i played this it reminded me maybe unfairly of bruges quite a bit mm-hmm. and the high search just felt feldy to me yeah but Let's talk about Twa and Pearl games and the game background. What do you what do you say, Jake? Perfect. Yeah, okay. we're getting ahead of ourselves. I know. I was just. I... So Twa, fascinatingly, came out in 2010, which to me is sort of shocking because it feels like a, a very modern design with a lot of its decisions. It's super polished and clean. It's really approachable. But in 2010, it was released by Pearl Games, and it was their inaugural game that they released. Shortly thereafter, they were picked up, I think, a few years later by Asmodee. They'd released Twa, which was a big hit, Ginkopolis, which was a big hit. Uh, they're also known for Deus, and they recently announced that Asmodee was actually shutting the studio down. Um, But the owner of the studio, Sebastian Dujardin, who's actually one of the designers of Twa, went on to Borgen Geek and said, I'm going to try to keep the catalog, try to keep it uh, in hand. So interestingly, at at the recording of this episode, the future of Pearl Games is sort of up in the air. And what will happen to this catalog of games is kind of up in the air. I didn't even realize this shows how much due diligence I do on the show. I didn't realize this game was that early. I would have assumed for certain this was released after a game like Castles of Burgundy, which actually released a year after Twa. So perhaps I should say that this Stefan Feld is really more of the Dujardin, George's, Orbanian school of board game design. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wanted to sort of really highlight that, and I'm glad you you noted on it again, Jake, because I was shocked to learn that too. Um, it feels like so many of the games that we've previously covered on the show, like Castles of Burgundy, really build on, the Twa builds on those. But like you're saying, in, in some ways, it really feels feels like it laid the groundwork for a lot of the clean Euro design that would follow in the subsequent 10 years. Uh, And to me, feels like it could have come out yesterday. Like it just, it feels so polished and clean. And yeah, it's really impressive that it's a 13 year old game. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fascinating. I would push back a little bit. To me, there are edge, there are weird design (laughs) decisions in this game that would not be made today. Okay. Which I think now knowing that it's an older game makes perfect sense. I was sort of interpreting this as like, what an interesting design riff on sort of the more elegant Castles of Burgundy. But now I can so clearly see Castles of Burgundy being like the more kind of streamlined version of some of the things that are happening in Twas. So we'll talk more about that when we get into the deep dive. And then just real quick, this game is designed by uh, Sebastian Dujardin, who I mentioned was the publisher at the helm of Pearl Games. They also did Trois Dice and Black Angel and Dias. 
It's also designed by Xavier uh, Georges, who's known for Carnegie, also worked on King Copolis, and also co-designed Black Angel with Dujardin. And then Alian Orban also did Black Angel and Tournay. So sort of three designers who came together, did this like inaugural game for Pearl Games, and would all stay involved with designing together uh, on Black Angel and on future games. So I know there's a lot of games in there that are sort of, maybe when they were released, they were released to critical success, but not huge commercial success. And over time, have kind of been celebrated and well-known on BoardGameGeek and have grown in their renown. I would say within the market. Twa is a game that I've been hearing about for for years and years now. So I'm really excited to get to play it and that we get to feature it on the show. And that's why I mentioned that they almost feel a little bit like cult classics. Like it took connoisseurs who could really appreciate what these designs were trying to accomplish to sort of say, no, these are standouts in this sort of Euro optimization genre doing cool things that are unique and different than you might think of uh, bog standard Euro games as being. Yeah, well put. I think I have not played it, but Ginkopolis, from what I know about it, feels exactly like what a cult classic is in our hobby, right? There is a group of fans of it that will extol it and talk about it whenever they get the opportunity. It doesn't feel like it has super wide uh, market reach at this point, but, you know, those who know about it, they want to talk about it. And maybe one we should consider talking about in the future on the show but i guess we'll it's see. definitely one we should play since it's yeah. on board game arena and now it's an interesting collection of games that these designers have been involved with and i like twa enough certainly that it makes me want to check out some of their other design offerings yeah cool all right brendan let's jump into your separately recorded rules overview and then listeners meet us back on the other side where we'll deep dive this game Twa is a strategic dice-driven Euro game for two to four players. Played over rounds, players assemble a workforce of differently colored dice, white, red, and yellow, and use those dice to take actions printed on variable action cards, pursuing victory points associated with those actions, but also working towards hidden game and scoring conditions. It behooves players to try to assess what hidden scoring conditions their opponents are working towards, and to work towards those as well, as the game and scoring objectives represent a large potential scoring opportunity. In Twa, players each have dice in their own personal pools, but can pay to use dice rolled by their opponents as well. This provides interaction and balloons out the decision space, as players are presented with a tremendous amount of options. Though, due to variability of dice, they're likely only to have a few good options at the start of each round. Each game, the available action cards grow round by round, and certain combinations of these cards provide different strategic paths through the game. After a variable number of rounds based on player count, the player with the most points, taking into account hidden scoring cards, events, activity, card points, and points gained working towards the cathedral, or perhaps lost if a player ignores this activity, is crowned the victor. Well, there's a lot lot more mechanisms and scoring opportunities at play, many of which I just teased, including a neat event system that players communally have to work to keep under control, it'd be tough to delve much deeper into Twa without teaching the full game. So equip with this brief overview, let's get back to the discussion. Thank you, Brendan, as always, for that uh, rules overview to not give everybody every rule, but give people a sense of how this game plays. I will say, 
having heard a lot about Twa before checking it out, and then even after checking it out, Twa was not an easy and intuitive game to learn. It definitely took me a few plays before it started clicking for me. Um, just kind of the general flow, what you should be focusing on and trying to do on your turn. So I might encourage listeners to at least take a look at what the board looks like so you can see what Brendan's talking about with the way these dice are kind of laid out and owned by certain players, but then kind of used by anyone. I will say I kept our rules overview shorter than average just because there's so much in Trois that's sort of interdependent in the way that the rules build upon each other that I felt like this was going to be a tough one of teaching in a bite-sized manner without just teaching the whole game, which would have been too much. So maybe we can, as we go, provide even more contextualization than we normally would. Uh, But I'll say, Jake, one thing... Let's talk about maybe the type of decision space first, because you mentioned punctuated waning, which it is. You have this pool of dice that builds up and then diminishes over the course of each round, which is sort of that classic right. style that you like from Azul or just, Castle yeah, of Burgundy. Exactly. Just put a finer point on it for those maybe who haven't heard us talk about these terms before. And you know, if you're a new listener, welcome. We have more people listening to this show than ever these days, which is fantastic. A waning decision space being a that the decision space shrinks over the course of play and punctuated meaning that there are specific moments in the game where sort of the decision space is refilled and becomes large again and then over play wanes down so that would be at the beginning of each round when all the dice are rolled again and now become available to players and then will then diminish as actions are taken which all rely on using one or more dice but objection (laughs) you actually the activity cards grow over the course of the game the the available almost worker placement locations it's not quite that you have to sort of buy the right to use these activity cards once and then once you've done that you have the right to use them with your pool of dice which are kind of like your workers for the rest of the game those are actually growing over the course of the game uh, more revealed each round so the decision space overall becomes more complex though you might not opt into using all these cards then at the same time you might end up with more dice or fewer dice depending on if your workers have been bumped out of the different principal buildings the city hall for yellow dice or the count's palace for red or the bishopric for white so you might end up with very few dice and if you end up in a bad spot with very little money you could have a really narrow decision space where you can't buy other people's dice you don't have dice of your own so to me this feels there's a lot going on in this game it's not necessarily as clean as some of the games that we try to fit into this waxing waning dynamic static mold but to me it feels pretty dynamic overall i think that makes a lot of sense it's certainly more dynamic than castles of burgundy which is a great example of a classic punctuated waning decision space where you always will have on your turn two moves no matter what and then the tiles on the board are what are going down over the course of play in each round. And, and you're, you're right. Certain rounds of the game, you'll, you may be in a position to do more, take more actions and certain rounds less. But for me, I mean, and we can dis- disagree on this. Like for me, like the core essence of like how I feel playing the game, like what I'm thinking about yeah. is mostly restricted by the dice that yeah. are available in that pool available to me. But if you want to call this a dynamic way, punctuated waning decision space, I'm there for it. <laughs> Great. Consider it modified. I think Twa getting that title is more than perfect based on how much is going on in this game. 
Jake, you mentioned that when you've heard people talk about Twa, maybe it didn't quite align perfectly with your experience of learning it initially. And I had a really similar experience for, for myself because I feel like when I hear people talk about this game, the two things that people primarily talk about are the using other people's dice, that you have dice in your own pool, but you can pay to use other people's dice, and also the hidden the hidden objectives and how that creates a sort of like air of potential for bluffing, which those are really important parts of Twa, but also something that stands out to me is just the sheer size of the decision space. There's so many options presented to you at the start of a given round of different combinations of dice that you could put put together to use different activity cards. You could work on the cathedral. You could fight the events that are building up at the bottom of the table. Um, and you can also choose how much you want to invest on a given turn. Do you want to spend all your money early on? Do you want to bide your time and kind of see what happens? Do you want to spend some time re-rolling dice? Not that that costs you time but it costs you you're just does it make sense to re-roll now or or wait to do that i think there's a lot going on here influence is one of the two resources in the game influence and gold yep yeah there's a ton going on are we going to talk about the secret objective cards now let's save it okay yeah because i think that is such a weird thing that almost deserves its own own section yeah the thing that makes it complicated to learn for me is i think like it the board is less intuitive than a lot of more modern games uh there's there's some kind of difficult to understand iconography uh all the different building spaces that you put your workers into so that you will be able to roll one of the dice of that associated color into your color pie your piece of the pie chart whatever those work slightly differently in each case like how the bumping works they cost a variable amount to put your worker into which is that you kind of have a good supply and a bad supply of workers once you have a worker that's been bumped out you can place it in for free if you don't you can pay to influence to put a worker in there but you also have a limited supply of workers so that if you have used all of your workers then you would have to move a worker from a different space in order to put it in a building or on an activity card and in that case i think it's free again since because you're not buying out of supply so everything makes sense like it is a complete system uh and i think that it leads to an interesting decision space but it i think what i'm hoping i convey by that small piece of this is it's a game where every rule leads you to a different part of the board like to understand that you have to understand this over here and and then that cycles into this other mechanism over there which is like a really cool ecosystem to play around in once you've got it but that is something that just makes it really difficult to learn compared to a game like castles of burgundy which is really a game that feel they both feel like medium weight games yep and to add to that every play of twa is going to feel very different because the activity cards really do inform your strategic path through the game and as they're revealed you might shift slightly um because they inform the actions that you can take some of them might make for a more flexible game with a certain color some of them less um and you're always trying to solve some core problems like how do i get more money um how am i going to effectively get influence how am i going to make the most of my dice all these sorts what's the right amount of workers to have at a given time if you're jake 30 (laughs) (laughs) not really the most you can have is i don't know what's the most you've ever gotten out there on the table jake maybe like eight to ten i think you yeah i think eight to ten is i mean eight is probably like a ton the most you would ever want for any circumstance because you only have 12 workers total so you want some like the activities are really important and valuable actions to take so you can't just have all only dice like that would not work for you 
Yeah, 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 totally. I, I'm a little bit guessing just because in a lot of our games, you sort of have gone this big dice strategy and it's worked out pretty effectively for you. But yeah, I think the final thing maybe in this entry sort of section that we always do where we characterize the overall decision space, I'd say is that we like to discuss the clarity. And to me, Jake, this game is so fuzzy yeah, from a terms of how opaque. clear is what you're, what are, the, what are you trying to accomplish and how are you going to accomplish it? You know what you're trying to accomplish, but not even fully because of those hidden objectives cards we're going to talk about later. So a lot of this game is about trying to find your footing. Uh, you don't even know the future actions that you're going to be able to take as those activity cards get revealed round by round. So you're kind of feeling out the table, trying to build up, build a lot of a lot of the early rounds in this game, Jake, to me, feel a lot like building an insurance policy for the decisions you might make, trying to make sure you have some money, trying to make sure you have some influence that you're you're not falling behind too much, but you're not over committing either. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I think the decision space is very opaque. The waning nature of it helps with that a bit because by the time you get to your last or second to last turn in the round, there's only a few things that you even would be able to do yeah. if you wanted to. So the game is helping you with that to create something that doesn't feel like it's just going to cause you super AP. Yeah. It's, it's almost restrictive enough that you can't just sit there and think forever. But yeah, I, I do agree. It's really difficult a lot of times to think through the value of what any given <sighs> action is going to be. And I think part of that goes to the cyclical sort of nature of the economy in this game. Like one thing that seems good to do in most cases is fighting off the threat cards that come out. So you can the spend events. the events. Yeah. So you can spend dice to fight these events. And basically that's a little bit of like majority scoring. So if you fight off the most of that event, so maybe there's four spots available. If I put in, if I fight it three times and Brendan fights it once, then I have the majority. So I'll score the top amount of points on that card and he'll score the second amount of points on that card. And, but if I do it all myself, then I get top and bottom. So that feels like an, a mostly a good and effective thing to always be doing a little bit um, because it gives you influence and it also gives you points. But there's also this element where like the events do something which might may or may not benefit or harm somebody more. Uh, and I feel like that takes it to a level of like, I can't even think about that. Like I only think about like using my dice efficiently to fight events. Um, but there's just always another thing to be considering that makes the decision space just a little bit less clear in all facets of the game. And interestingly, because the events are good and you want to approach them, there's a reason why you'll be doing that. And because those actions are useful, you have a reason why you might be going after a certain action at a given time, right? Also, the hidden objective cards, the characters, there's also Henry I, who gives endgame points for completing these event cards. So that's where it's sort of tough to think through, okay, is Jake just going after these events because it's a good point scoring opportunity and his dice rolled in such a way that he just had the right dice to take out this event card? Do I need to be working towards the events? For me, it gets to the point of this is so fuzzy that as Jake was saying, I just often kind of take a step back and say, what's the most efficient action I can take on my turn? Yeah, yeah. And I think that the game is balanced in a way that that sort of heuristic of like, I just want to use my dice and money effectively gets you pretty far. I don't yeah. think you're going to win against a really experienced table doing that. And that's where I think this game probably has a really high skill ceiling to sort of navigate all the different moments where you might break that heuristic. But you could definitely play the game and be competitive just trying to do ta play almost purely tactically. Just take the game as it comes to you. It's my turn. 
I have a four white dice and this event requires a four white dice to fight one yep. spot on it. I'm just going to like do that. Yep. That gets you pretty far. But yeah, I think hopefully this gives you a sense that, wow, this is an opaque game. And after 12 plays, we're barely scratching the surface and like understanding the, the robustness of the strategy and tactics presented to players. And I think that Twa is really interesting from that perspective too, Jake, because the activity card setup makes your use of different activity cards that come out committal. You have to commit to a strategy by putting a, a worker there, typically paying a cost of not a trivial amount of coins, right? Some of them cost six coins to use. Some of them are cheaper to sort of get your worker down the first time. And I think that that forces commitment in terms of strategy, but then the dice rolling screams like this is a tactical de- tactical game. You have to play the best dice that are at the on the table, especially compounded by the fact that you can buy each other's dice. So I just, I want to highlight that point even a little bit more that just to me, the standout thing of Twa and why I think that it has such a loud sort of group of people who, love this game and have been talking about it for so long if it is sort of that like cult of twa lovers is because the mix of strategy and tactics is so phenomenal uh, and it rewards repeat plays and it empowers you the more you play the more you play the better you're going to get at twa and i think that you know we've covered a lot of games on the show recently where that's definitely true but i think it's more true in twa than a lot of the games that we've talked about um and it's just fun i've really enjoyed playing more and more twa and getting better and better at trying to approach those uh how to use the activity cards the best and then parsing that with the dice that I actually end up rolling or sometimes even more importantly, other people roll or the neutral player rolls. Yeah. I don't think you're necessarily wrong, but I have a slightly different take on it. I find this game is 75% tactical plus. I don't, and maybe that's just the way I approach the game, but I I don't actually get that much out of the strategic elements. And and you're talking about sort of the game wanting you to to commit to certain activity cards because you have to put your worker on that spot and pay money. But you also get like a big boon in points from doing that. Sure. So I think, and you're paying the you know die cost when you place it so i think a lot of times you know if i just activate it once or twice i'm getting plenty of value out of that like i don't feel the need to maybe i'm not good at this game you know so really experienced twa players could be like i'm wrong on this count but it feels to me less committal in that in that way i think the reason that twa has this huge cult following and that the people who love it really love it is because of the way it incorporates so many highly interactive elements Mm. in what feels like a very traditional Euro game. It almost has that sort of like Hansa Teutonica vibe going for it where I feel like the thing I always hear about that game is like it's like a Euro game but it's also interactive. How crazy is that? And this is sort of like if Castles of Burgundy that kind of genre of Euro game was highly highly interactive and i think that is what appeals to so many people so let's name all the interactive elements that i could think of and then see if you have any more you can add to them so there's buying each other's dice bumping workers in those principal buildings the event card majorities progress on the cathedral uh and also guessing hiding bluffing slash fainting the hidden goals those character cards i think the only other 
one I can think of is that the activity cards are also limited. Nice. Or no, they're not limited, but only the first two people who go there get points. And the first gets the most points. So it's like a race to get down there. I believe you can still play on an activity card that already has two people on it, but you just don't get any points. Yep. So you're probably it feels losing. Bad. Yeah, that's you, you, I think you're kind of done if so you find yourself in that situation. That's six different systems that have an interactive bent. And it's almost every system in the game. Yeah, everything is absolutely tied back to this. And maybe now is when we should talk about the character cards because that element alone makes, you know, everything you're doing like potentially interactive in some way. I don't know. You know, these, Jake, the way, the way these are designed, there's a substantial amount of points depending on how much you achieve in them. Um, and they're set up such that there's thresholds. Uh, so for example, I had mentioned Henry the First, which rewards you at the end of the game and everyone at the table, not just you, not just the person who has it, but you flip it face up and everyone gets paid off of everyone's character cards, these hidden endgame objectives. Uh, in that example, if you had one or two event cards under your, in your possession, you get one victory point. If you had three or four, you'd get three. And if you had five or more, you'd get six victory points. So it scales up pretty quickly. Yeah. And there's similar ones for having money, for having influence, for having progress on the cathedral, for having uh, workers on activity cards, all of these different elements of where you could be pushing your strategic path towards. Yeah. So this is without a doubt for me, the most interesting design element in this game i feel like this is where this game really separates itself from anything else i've played where you have hidden shared objective cards meaning that everything that you're doing can potentially be cluing in your opponents to that card that you're holding which figuring out what card brendan's holding in our game and in a two-player game we each have two of these cards you know that is such key information and sort of illuminating what is so opaque about the decision space. And I think that's part of the reason why it feels so opaque is like, you know what you want to be doing because you know your card, but then everything else, it's so difficult to like say like, okay, is it better to fight an event here? Or is it better to go up the cathedral track or just like get another dice in the next round? Because you just have no sense of, and all of those things could be hidden objectives at the end of the game. And I think interestingly, Jake, for me, what's what's sort of neat about it is early, okay, so these are shift, these are sort of destinations that you're trying to guide your strategic paths towards, but your ship that you're trying to move through that space, if I can use a metaphor, is pretty slow, right? If you're trying to get five or six event cards, that's not something you can do instantly. That's something you have to build through over mm -hmm. the course of the game. So it behooves you to start on that early. If you need to amass a lot of money, it's kind of a similar thing, but sometimes less so. But I think what's cool about Twa is that all of the things that you're trying to do are just good to do. Yeah. There's none of none of the objectives are things that you wouldn't do unless you had this card. So it's really about which directions you push the furthest in. And I find that it makes the early game even more interesting than it might be where it's like, oh, Jake or Tyler went up on money to like 22. Did the dice roll just enable a really bursty turn and it was the right time in the game to get a lot of money? Or was it that there's a hidden character card in play that means means that it's good to have money and I should also be trying to force that outcome even though maybe I end up paying more for it because the dice rolls don't quite go my way. There's lots of, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's lots of ways to hide behind the mechanisms of the game to obfuscate what's going on and why you might be doing it. And I think that makes it even more interesting. We talked about the drunk in Blood on the Clock Tower as one of the roles, totally different genre of game, <laughs> a social deduction game where this player doesn't know the role that they're playing in the game and whether it's true or not. 
that uh, this player is actually truly believes they're a character that they aren't and are being fed hidden information um, by the narrator, by the moderator of that game. And here you kind of all feel a little bit drunk when you're playing because it's it's a little it's hard to guess sometimes what cards are in play. And that's part of the fun. Yeah, I don't know how much like I think definitely guessing what other character cards are in the game is something that happens in every game. I'm not sure like to the extent that bluffing really makes sense, at least like in an intentional way. Like it could be like a passive benefit to doing something else like, oh, okay, I think that Brendan has the cathedral card. So because he's gone up three in the cathedral and it's early in the game. So I start doing that. Right. And then player number three is like, everybody's going up the cathedral. It's like definitely in the game. Right. So it sort of has like this shared whatever, you know, ecosystem that's happening. But Brendan maybe was just like his dice just resulted in I got a bunch of ones and twos and whites. And that was the best thing I could do with them and you're right you're not necessarily like intentionally bluffing it it's just but it's created that like sense that definitely somebody's got this card when nobody does did you like this mechanism though i think this mechanism is one of the polarizing for people one of the examples where i like thinking about it and talking it more than maybe i like it in practice just because i wish in some ways that there are even more tells it's sort of there and it really matters Uh, but just mechanically at times it's sort of it's tough to be able to parse but i i think it's cool i think it defines what twa is i think it'd be really this game wouldn't have quite the same je ne sais toi without it well it's it's i mean again it's it's like a perfect i think the cult classic example is yeah. so perfect here because i think without this mechanism maybe this game is something that like a broader group of people like but yeah. it doesn't have the same you know like more people like it more people are like this is a seven out of ten but it's you're not going to get that like critical core group of people that are like this is a 10 out of 10 without this mechanism so i I think i'm starting the more i play it the more i'm starting to get behind it but learning this game because this mechanism is again just like such a huge pain and even now when i'm playing this game i feel like i'm looking up in the rule book what all these things are like Mm. every time i play multiple times a game because it's not just enough to remember what all the character cards are that could be in the game you have to remember like like all the specific thresholds and they're not all the same right it's like yeah. the max of to get the most points for having your workers in the central buildings is seven but it's six for ha- going on the activity cards so you, you can't just remember it's like six for all these things where it's like you need to have 20 gold but 12 influence and stuff like that and then each of those has three different benchmarks for success so to play this game even at like the lowest base level i feel like you have to have perfect knowledge of what these are which just means you're going to be looking at a lot but there are only six of them which in the base game which does keep it somewhat within reach um and interestingly so that means when you're playing with four people you're kind of trying to guess what people aren't necessarily going for as much as what they are uh which adds this interesting sort of like mirrored objectives where it's trying to like see what people maybe aren't doing as much as they might normally do uh, across the aggregate of the whole table i'll also say jake i think it's really fun when you have some of these are easier to get towards the end of the game than others depending on the activities that are out right so the one that you get more victory points if you want influence i had a fun game where the hunting activity was out hunting's an activity where you get three influence for every red dice given to this card divided by the value of it divided by three uh so just 
you can use it to burst a lot of influence towards the end of the game. So it feels really good to sort of, you know, if you roll a couple of red sixes and you you put down maybe 18 value of of down at a time and you get a boatload of influence from it, like 15 in one turn, that's a really exciting way to potentially end the game and not tip anyone off that you had the card. So I love that there's there's cards that lend, these character cards that lend more towards maybe you want to set this up early game because it's just good to have this stockpile or maybe you want to try to burst into it at the end. And I think it's cool that Twa game by game has different ways that you might approach the same problems. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the main thrust of these being in the game, at least I have found, is that it makes you want to do everything well. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I feel like the the players that do the best in this game are generally succeeding in most or all areas of the game. Right. And then maybe just at the end, like you're saying, okay, I'm going to like now push in this final round to like achieve like the top benchmark on like two or three of these cards if possible. But it's not like you're, I don't know. And I could be wrong because I, again, I have only played it a dozen times, which, you know, is a decent number but in a game like this it's difficult to say like perhaps there is a viable path to victory in this game that's just like i'm never gonna put anything on the cathedral or i'm not gonna fight any events at all but it, in my experience it hasn't played out that way i think that the i'm having a weird funny experience right now jake because the more we talk about it just like i said in my sort of opening review the more i realize how much i like Twa and <laughs> yeah really admire it. like well should i have rated an eight should i have rated an 8.5 i think let your impressions speak for themselves because you even said in that impressions like you like this game academically and i do too right like i think this mechanism is such a cool food for thought thing but a lot of people aren't going to like it and also what i said at the beginning right it makes sense that this game was a 2010 game and then this is the exact type of mechanism that is streamlined and developed out of games today it's developed into something that is just like in castle of the burgundy like here are the goals and now we're just going to like race to them because that just makes it such an easier first and more fun first play than wait what's going on and then at the end of the game it's like okay i didn't really realize how all these cards worked and stuff right i just think it's not something you would see today and frankly i think that's too bad i you know i playing more of these older games and and even actually findorf being a new game that feels like had a different design goal like i think that's cool and I, I think it'd be awesome if more games they are sort of developed with different design goals than just like elegance and fun first play but the, i think the market is clearly showing what is rewarded in also in development and game design you know easy for us to say co-hosts of a podcast where we like to play games 10 plus times to deep dive them to say we want more games where they're better at the 10th time you play them but <laughs> right. I, I think it's a it's a fair point and i i totally agree one other thing jake that i think is really interesting about this game and why you might want to play it more than one time is the feel can really dramatically shift based on the dice that are rolled lots of dice get rolled in this game so it's not typically common that you have just like a terrible game where all the dice come out really low but it can happen where you have like a below average game where it feels sort of sluggish in your ability to pursue points and the flip side is you can have games where everyone's rolling fives and sixes and you have a lot of ability to do stuff on the table points are flying it's a great time in toi and it's a really dynamic sort of game where the numbers are a little bit larger and you historically have really enjoyed games like that where you can have sort of a play where it feels more subdued more muted and a play where the variability of the random randomizing element just allows it to pop a little bit more i think interestingly there's a 
ton of mitigating mechanics in this game. One of them... I was just going to... Can I just add on to your point just to emphasize it, which is in my plays, the lowest winning score is 39 and the highest winning score is 56. So that's a pretty big band of numbers. You know, so yeah, I think that that definitely bears it out. Mostly this game will be won in the mid to high 40s, it looks like. But it absolutely has the potential for way more or way less depending on... And I think that mostly depends on, yeah, just the value of dice roll. A lower average die value game is going to be a lower scoring game. Yeah. Trois is a game of many, many ideas. And I think the one that maybe hooked people initially, you know, it's it's a game about dice rolling that doesn't feel bad when you roll low values because the dice you're rolling are just kind of you're putting them in the pool and you get money if other people use them and it you feels a little bad you would re- it definitely does feel ra- a little bad. you would rather have high values for you would sure. ha- you would but there's a lot of ways to get around it you can yeah. use money to buy other people's dice there's also neutral dice in the pool just trying to get the number of dice in the economy up you can use influence to re-roll or adjust dice so a one can be a six for four influence and you can always re-roll dice for one um so there's lots of ways that the game sort of says we want there to be a good mix of numbers jake do you there's sort of the base actions that any player can do at any time with dice right agriculture you can turn two value of yellow dice into money you can use influence to manipulate the value of dice i really like those elements it's one more thing that you have to learn you can always do outside of the activity cards but they kind of action smooth they're sort of things that you want to exist in the game that kind of have to be there i think it's also why the cathedral always allows you to get a little bit of influence Mm-hmm. And a few points just because you need a way to get those in the game if the activity cards came out in kind of a funky way. But I find the more I play, the more I really enjoy trying to push my luck a little bit with re-rolling dice or I'll pay for influence at this point to turn a one into a six. Usually that's worth it. Yeah. Uh, especially oh, if you're sitting on a lot of influence. Yeah, I think generally the I've done the re-rolling one quite a bit. I like spending one influence to re-roll. Like I feel like I would r- almost rather give it like two re-rolls than just switch it to a six or something right away unless i really needed the six um so that's kind of fun too like it gives players the option of like do you want the sure thing or do you want to push your luck a little bit and in our last game i rolled a one twice in a row it's like damn you know (laughs) (laughs) devastating so it's fun that that type of of play can exist in the game um but yeah i I don't find myself often using those because i don't know the 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 re-roll one seems like the best value spending like the yellow for money seems just really bad efficiency wise i think it is pretty bad you need to have a way to get money for sure and like if it's the last you know you you have nothing else to do on your turn sure i'll turn a two into a coin that'll have next next round or whatever we were talking jake maybe this is a good time to mention this we were talking a lot about how or i was at least how polished the game feels how modern it feels one of the things that's not that way is the amount of division the game asks you to do i feel like if <laughs> yeah. i designed a game with this much division and took it to a group of playtesters they would be like brendan what are you doing there's yeah. too much math in this game and in a way there is it's kind of clunky to have to be like okay so i have a six here if i bought jake's five that'd take me to 11 then i then i'm gonna use this neutral die that cost me this amount of coins and then i'll get this many actions when i divide that value by three yeah or yeah yeah or like there's also multiplication like some of the buildings that i really like to use is like i can turn one white die into three yellow die of the same value so it's like okay now i've got a six so that means i've got 18 worth of value and like how many times can i split 18 into like into four four again you know (laughs) 
like that i mean that stuff's all over this game which that's is a re- fun though yeah it's okay i don't know i don't know here's the thing i would not say i disagree with you in that this feels like a super polished polished and modern game i honestly think it's the opposite right and that's why i feel like no this game wouldn't be developed and designed today what it feels like when you say this feels like a game that could be you know published today or designed yesterday or whatever i think what you're speaking to is like it's just as fun as a game that you know a modern game that we you know just played arc nova or whatever like this game is just as fun there's nothing like more fun than arc nova okay fair enough but there's nothing like inherently (laughs) better about what game modern games are doing than this but i do think it shows its age in some of these design decisions that we're talking about now and i i think maybe a sort of a thesis i'm coming to as we have more of these is like just that the design goal of modern games that are being designed and published today is lean so much into creating elegant systems. Yeah. And the systems in this game are not elegant yeah. in my mind. I think for me, when I'm saying polish, maybe what I mean is that you just said the d- design objective of the game, which I think the design objective of the game is interactive Euro. Yeah. Is so fully realized. And it's fully realized across like six different mechanisms. So to me, that's what makes it feel polished. There's You're no talking mechanism. about self-actualization. Yeah. So exactly. The game is fully self-actualized. <laughs> But and I think that there's nothing that sticks out as like, oh, this game would be way better without this mechanism. You know, totally like, agree. It yeah. all feels like it belongs here. Even the event cards, which the event cards kind of feel like the one that's that you're all trying to contribute to. And maybe I want to contribute. I know I want to win this event card, but I'm just going to contribute one die now, even though I could contribute more because I need, want other people to come along with me. But then I want to be the one to finish it. To me, that that's another one of those ideas where it's like, wow, this is a lot going on in this game. And maybe a modern sensibility would say, let's cut that system it's just too much but twa ends up being even more interesting for having it because then there's this whole other system of fighting black dice that we didn't even talk about which i find to be really fun and funny where the start player has to sort of take the first whack you feel like spend down your dice red dice count double when fighting these black dice that are rolled at the start of the round and if you don't deal with events more of these black dice are likely to come out and kind of chip away at how much everyone at the table can do and the first player just has to attack the most powerful die but they don't have to spend all their red die to do it so it's kind of funny to sort of be like okay i'll I'll take out this one die and now over to you jake and see how much you want to kind of chip away at it It, i think that's a nice interactive moment yeah i don't know did we include that in our interactive that's another one one. yeah and it's it's funny too to be like okay i want to do this much efficiently uh and then i can make my the next person in like an uncomfortable spot with the dice they happen to have in front of them if i stop here or whatever that's a fun decision to make um and it's a group I project, th- I but think it's a had, funny one. And I think you had mentioned earlier one of the event cards like triggers when it's completed, but most of them, I actually, I'll be honest, I thought all of them just trigger by just sitting out there. Mm. and and like adding more black dice that you have to fight or putting neutral guys into random you're right you're building spaces no you're right so yeah yeah, so when i was learning this game it was again another thing that was like just countered my normal board game brain expectations because i had it took me a really long time to understand i had to keep like one of the people we were playing and learning with was jared and he kept being like guys nobody else is fighting any of these events but me and i was just kind of thinking like but 
why would I contribute to that? It's hurting us all equally, you know. And, and now that I've played it more, I realize like what it, that how it can be a really efficient use of action just for getting points and stuff. But it does sort of be like, why am I helping other people by doing yeah. this just a bit? Yep. Yeah. It's like the wall in the Game of Thrones board game. That was a time appropriate callback. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll just take your word for that. <laughs> yeah. Another thing, it's really interesting, Jake, that the game changes in length based on player count. In a four-player game, it's a six-round game. So you see more of the activity cards earlier. You have more time to sort of strategize around them. And I think that makes sense because the opportunity to claim them is a bit lower based on the number of players. In a three-player game, it's five rounds. In a two-player game, there's just four rounds. Uh, that two-player game goes quick. Yeah. It's nice. I, I like, I don't know that it's best at two. It also too has the variant where you each get two of those hidden character, character cards. cards. Great decision. Yeah, good choice. I don't know if it's best at twos, but I do like, because it feels like you're missing a lot of that interaction and kind of like the funny, like group thing that can happen in three and four player games. Yeah. But it is nice that it whips so quickly at that player count. It's also interesting too, because, you know, like today we also think like the more player count, like the more down, like the longer that's bad. So it's just funny to see a game that's just like, yes, it'll be longer because it's with more people and it's actually just rounds longer too. Yeah. So like we're kind of like double dosing you with game length time. And you have even more decisions on a given turn because there's going to be more dice I th- out there. I don't no, know. I don't, I don't think, that's think true. so. That's yeah. not true. Yeah. Um, anyway. We don't know. <laughs> we'll be honest. We have no idea. No, that's not true. Okay. To be honest, I was also sort of surprised by... The game can feel kind of procedural in some ways, too. But like, okay, we got to reveal these activity cards. We have to resolve the events. We have to... Uh, we get an income every round, and then we have to pay salaries for our workers. And there's different salaries that cost different amounts, right? The Yeah, nothing is, like, intuitive to learn. Everything yeah. is, like, here's the rule for how much a white die costs versus a red die versus a yellow of dies like come on game yeah. why are you like this too. yeah yeah it's it's interesting there's a there's a lot of edges so yeah maybe i'm really glad that you kind of highlighted here jake that like polish isn't quite the right word it's yeah. it's that it's fully realizing what it wants to be which is a a messy beautiful interactive euro-ish game and I, but i do also like the more you play this game the more you realize that each of these edge cases that is annoying to learn admittedly is there for a reason like the red yeah. die are just a little bit better because they can be used to fight the black dice more efficiently uh they're the red cards are really the red action cards are often tailored towards fighting events which i think i already mentioned seems to be one of the most efficient things you can be doing for the game so like it does make sense just from a balanced perspective like because players would naturally be incentivized by the game mechanisms to want these dice a little bit more they cost a little bit more to have at the start of your turn yeah, and it is also cool, Jake, that the different events that come out, come out, they're set to come out at different ages. So you are seeing more and more powerful activities that you can t- potentially do. Uh, one that, excuse me, is I find to be really fun is the one that can conf- uh, converts influence just straight into victory points. That's the troubadour, uh, which lets you trade. You have to divide your red die value that you're bringing your workforce by three, and it turns three influence into two victory points. That one's fun and kind of sets up the potential to maybe bluff around. Oh, I have the, the influence card. I'm going to invest in influence early. And then if that card comes out, you can just be like, no, I'm going to liquidate to these pivot, points. Pivot. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's, and we mentioned the dividing by three as being sort of like a pain point, but it also makes a lot of times like the efficiency question really interesting, you know? So if you have a divide by mm. three and you have a five dice, do I go for that or can I find something 
better to like use that full die value. Or maybe I pay four coins to use my opponent's one dice to ump it, you know, whatever. Like there's decisions like that sort of riddled throughout the game that I find really fun to just kind of look at and navigate on my turn. It's also neat the way the costing works for buying other people's dice that you're sort of incentivized to. It's great to buy one die, but if you start buying two or three, all of a sudden it costs so much that sort of like it's asking you to like engage with this mechanism, but don't go overboard. Yeah. And I think that's a really well-designed element too. I did want to say this because I think it was on the board game barrage podcast where they've talked about this game and really like it and sort of the quintessential impression that i got from that is that you're sort of just waiting around the table and just like hoping nobody buys a specific die from you i didn't really feel that as much i don't know did you have that impression a lot like i guess i just maybe because i knew that going into this game like i didn't feel a super strong sense of like ownership of like these dice are mine i don't know I I didn't either. I think also the fact that they sit on the middle of the table is a good design element to kind of signal, right? Like this isn't yours. You just it's just with you. You can just uh, use these ones for free. For free, and these exactly. ones cost money. Yeah, and you get paid if you use these ones. Also, you know, you roll a six and instantly it's like, well, I'm not going to get to use that unless I'm the first or second player. Right. Not always, but like typically, you know, the sixes and the fives aren't long for this world. Right. Uh, exactly. They're too mathematically useful. Yeah. All right. Well, Brendan, any closing thoughts? We sort of been doing a little bit of closing thoughts here what do you got any like favorite decision in the game are you going to keep playing where are you at with this one yeah you know it's not often jake that we we play a game a dozen times i give it a 7.5 and i'm hungry to keep playing it after our discussion uh but i think i am now i want to keep playing i I especially i'd love to keep playing at two i think the decision we're playing a two-player game right now and i think that it allows you to interact with the decisions the sort of optimization puzzle even a little bit more and there's fewer moving elements i'd love to play it that way a little more i'd like to play it at four on the table i guess my answer is yes um and favorite decision i don't know it's fun when you see a little combo that comes out in the activity cards and you get just a brief moment where you can exploit it i think there's exciting turns exciting moments in twa it's a game with a good arc because it's built to have a good arc and then it's designed such that there's an exciting reveal at the end so overall i think if i want to end on one thing it's just that Twa is great and it has this really great arc with interesting and variable tactical decisions. Cool. Yeah. And for me, I think Twa is one of the games that we've covered in a deep dive format on the show that I'm most eager to play on the table. And I wonder if, you know, some of that more emotional elements in the game about yeah. like, oh, you stole my die. Like, I kind of want that. And I wonder if playing it live on the table, you have more of that sense of like waiting, waiting, waiting. And then the person right in front of you takes it and you're like, damn it. You know, that was my move. Where if you're playing it online and asynchronously, you don't really have that. You just, okay, it's my turn. I look at the board and I do my tactical move. Yeah. Uh, So I think that playing live is going to heighten that sort of emotional aspect of the game for me and maybe make me like it even more. And I think also, you know, maybe some of that like bluffing fainting around those character cards which you don't i kind of indicated i don't think you get very much again playing digitally online i think that can come out to more in like the above the table talk sure you know like oh what are you doing over there jared i see you got mr a lot of influence kids. yeah right exactly right there oh you just hit 12 that's interesting like yeah. that kind of stuff could happen at the table that we're not getting in the uh chat sure online so yeah i mean i loved it 
I want to keep playing it. And I think, you know, it could really grow into a favorite of mine if it's as good on the table as I think it might be. Yeah, I think this is an this to me, Twa feels like a game where it's sort of like your taste, how they've shifted to be even a smidge more interactive over the course of these last two years of us doing the show, Jake, towards the Kinesia realm, plus your love of Euro optimization games. Twa seems like it's right there. And if you have a really good play that pops on the table, I could see at the end of the year where we're looking back on games, sort of you going, Twa is one of my games of the year. This is just, I'm so glad I experienced it. So we'll see. Awesome. All right. Let's thank our patrons one more time for supporting the show, inviting us to play Twa. It was awesome. Thank you for voting on this game. We're really excited to see what you select next. And as a reminder to everyone, uh, if you're curious about learning more about our Patreon, uh, I won't go on, but just check out decisionspacepodcast.com forward slash Patreon for more. All right. And until next week, thank you so much for listening to Decision Space. We want to thank Hembury as always for our intro and outro song, Reach Out. And keep your eyes peeled because there might be a special bonus episode in your feed later this week. Thanks so much and have a good week. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye.